0: you can change the way that someone thinks or you can change the way that someone acts. That's incredibly powerful.
1: So do you ever think about the through line, that common story, the common interest, the thread that kind of ties everything that you've done together, you know, very often from the time you were a little kid to almost every job you've had, all the different careers to where you are today. Well, that's one of the big things that we're exploring in today's episode. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is good life project. Vaseline Gly got bitten by the publishing and entrepreneurial bug at a pretty young age, starting out cutting and pasting and making her own, e-zines you know, easy instead of clip art. She grew slowly over time, found her way into a series of different startups and companies, every time gaining new skills, building bigger and bigger editorial processes, publishing at a higher level until a couple years back around 2009, she found herself at the helm of 99U, a really powerful global community for creative professionals where they offer all sorts of incredible advice to get ideas out of your head and into the world. It's culminated in a monster website and also an annual conference in New York City. Jocelyn really has this incredible through line that just keeps following her through life. And in today's conversation, we trace not only that through line, but we really dive into a new set of books that she's behind publishing. The latest of which is all about making your mark in the world. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash good life project to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash good life project, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply.
0: In the first book in the 99U series, one of the essays was from Linda Stone. I don't know if you know her. She, um, Coined the phrase "continuous partial attention," sort of talking about how we, you know, navigate our lives these days. Um, but one of the things that she talked about that I don't, I don't know that it, it made its way into into the final essay, but that we talked about was this. You know, she was kind of talking about how um, even when you say check your email, like people have a problem with um with breathing the same way that people have like a problem with snoring. They're when they're sleeping like you're not breathing fully when you are checking your email because you're kind of experiencing like a certain level of anxiety and so you start to do this kind of low like shallow breathing and then that kind of has this ripple effect almost of um because you're doing this low shallow breathing it's kind of stress inducing like type of breath and then it kind of goes into this constant loop and so you know email is one thing but kind of this like notion that like it's almost like she talked about like interacting with your computer, like, playing an instrument or something like that. And, like, you almost have to learn how to, like, be in your body in a certain way to, like, not go into it and, like, only be in the headspace, but to kind of learn how to, like, still be in your body while you're interacting in that medium, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, It's
1: so interesting also because, um, you know, there's... How often do people check their emails now? (laughs) I mean, even between the time that that book came out, which was, what, a year and a half ago, two years Mm -hmm, ago, right? And now, you know, with the the growth of devices where it's like I was sitting in the coffee shop the other day, just waiting online to get my coffee, not yeah. even there yet. And um, and I'm just standing there and I just I scan the whole shop. And at first I, I catch like two or three people with their heads down, and then I'm like, huh, let me let me just scan everything here. Mm-hmm. Literally out of maybe thirty five people, there was one person who didn't have their head looking down at their phone. Mm-hmm. So And it's become this intermittent thing where you're just checking. I would love to to have somebody sort of like sit, maybe I'll do this as an experiment, sit in a coffee shop and just like calculate the percentage of people's time checking email and checking. So if that becomes a persistent state and it constantly affects your anxiety levels like that, it can't be good over time.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, and it's also like it's even if it's, you know, it's just other, it's just new thoughts coming into your brain from other people largely unasked for, like, all all the time, you know? So you're just kind of constantly, like, reacting, even if you're not, like, getting upset or or responding right then. It's just, like, this sort of new information, you know? Whereas let's say you're, like, you know, you could be looking at that stuff, having it going in the background when you're working all day on your computer, but let's say you're, you know, you decide, oh, I'm going to turn off my phone and, like, go make a table or something. Like, Mm. (laughs) you know, the amount of just, like, inbound information that you're experiencing is... So different.
1: Right. You know? It's funny you use that example because this table that we're actually hanging Mm on, I made. You made it. (laughs) And almost for like that exact same reason, I was like, you know what? I haven't made stuff in a really long Mm -hmm. time and I'm jonesing seriously to make something. Yeah. So I turned off everything with the exception of the DIY post that I downloaded that taught me how to do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I just sat there and I spent like, you know, a chunk of a couple of weeks just making this, you know, sort of like plaster table and stuff like that.
0: was probably a good couple of weeks. It was amazing.
1: It was amazing. (laughs) And I've been jonesing so much to reconnect with that. And I'm I'm you know, like you, I love to write and I love to express myself that way. But there's something about creating something with your hands. So let me ask you something else. Okay, so Mm. you're a writer, you um you have a long history now as a publisher, as an editor, as a writer Mm -hmm. doing all sorts of things. What what gives you a deeper sort of sense of, yeah, that, um,
0: the writing or like
1: when you actually see, (laughs) like you pick up the book, the tangible product
0: that contains it. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me about writing versus editing. Um, we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, there's such, it's so funny because I feel like I'm sure you've experienced this, you know, when you're working on a book. You know, or even, like, let's say you're doing, like, the final proofread of something you're going to print, you know, and I get so, you know, so anal about it. Like, mm. oh, my God, it has to be perfect. But, like, what you always kind of forget is that you, you know, then you end up doing that, like, seven or eight times or something like right. that. And so, like, by the time you actually get the book, like, you totally don't want to look at the inside, right. like, ever <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, <I've> experience that. <laughs> like, so I think in a way it's funny, like, it literally becomes, like, almost primarily a tangible object by the time that you get it, you know, and then, and then you're, and then you're kind of going into the whole aspect of, of promoting it, which is like shifting into a different mindset. So I kind of avoided that, but no, I mean, I think they're different, you know, writing is such a kind of, you know, it's fun and completely agonizing and, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of kind of problem solving and, you know, I think it's just a very different state than having a thing, but you know, it's just, it's, I, I mean, I love having, that's why I love printed books. You know, yeah. I still buy, like, I don't, I'm not a Kindle person. Uh, I'm the same way.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, I love the feeling of a book in my hand. There's mm-hmm. something you can't, you can't replace. Um, but uh, it's funny too, that I, when I'm done writing in the and it's accepted and it's like done and I get the tangible book, it doesn't do anything for me.
0: Mm-hmm. You, is it d- because you've moved on, do you think?
1: I, I think it's, and, and I've tried to figure this out because I have other friends who are, like, I see literally, like, you know, like, selfies posted online and they're mm. crying when they open it. Like, they actually see their book for yeah. the first time. And I don't feel any of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's because for me, it's just the, it, you know, that, you know, as Richard Feynman put, you know, it's it's the kick in finding thing. In in, in finding the thing out mm-hmm. that really drives me, it's not the, it's not the actual book Mm-hmm. at the end. But what's interesting is when it, when you talk about like crafts and stuff like that, like this table we're hanging out, that is. yeah like For me, like I love that, you know, I love to just sort of like, you know, so it, I guess it really depends on what yeah. it is that I'm creating and sort of like situation specific or something.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I know what you mean, but I guess I like that you can then share, then you can share it, you know, it's, it's like that thing that I've, you know, like, oh my God, like, you know, mm. you're talking to a friend, like you've been listening to me talk or, you know, bitch about this thing like right. forever. <laughs> now I can like actually show you right. what it is. You know, you know I think um, I've been grumbling about <laughs> yeah, exactly all those deadlines. Right. Um.
1: So let's kind of jump back into your journey. So you end up in Boston. Um, mm, where'd you go to in college?
0: I went to Boston University.
1: All right. What What'd you study there?
0: Um, I actually did this program, if you know um, Gallatin at NYU, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was called the University Professors Program. It was like one of those like honors programs where you could just like design your own
1: Uh, major type of thing. One of those. (laughs)
0: Yeah, which actually like probably is not really good at preparing people for real life in like any way, Um, although I... Maybe for
1: entrepreneurship. Theoretically, you could say it's a good idea.
0: Anyway, I did did literature, basically like literature and film. I did... um, a lot of French and American literature. And then I um, also did, the film was sort of like, I I kind of like snuck into the writing parts of the MFA film program and Mm. like wrote like a couple of feature length screenplays. So is that
1: something you were interested in or thinking about? Yeah,
0: I mean, it's something I'm still interested in. I've always, I mean, I still on on the side, like, you know, work on on screenplays and stuff like that. And like I'm working, it's super fun for me because I'm working on the book trailer right now for the new book with... Mm. um, a friend of mine who's a filmmaker, and I love doing that. Um, but yeah, I never... Yeah, I was always interested in the film industry, but I think there's something about the industry itself and the level <laughs> of respect for writing that always kind of kept me away a little bit.
1: It's an interesting place to be. I know, <laughs> I have a fantasy about writing some sort of screenplay at some point also. Yeah, probably most
0: like, writers do. <laughs>
1: I, I, you have to imagine, right? I think everybody has a fantasy about writing a book at some point, and then every mm-hmm. every like writer like at some point, like, I need something on the big screen. <laughs> yeah. Purely ego-based for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that's, yeah, for most people what it is. You know
1: what it is for me? I don't know if you feel this way also, but I love, um, I'm kind of obsessed with story and storytelling, and Mm -hmm. I I love the idea of trying to figure out the story. Um, And, uh, which is funny, because so far, at least until now, I've written all nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's fiction in there. Yeah. It's like starting to, like, really kick to get
0: out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that was actually something I always struggled with screenplays is like I'm very I think I'm probably very good at character but not as good at plot mm-hmm. or I get like like I just get so into the details that, you know, I can kind of lose, I can lose the bigger picture a little right. bit sometimes. You end
1: up in the weeds. Hand. Yeah. So you hang out there and um, you're studying literature and stuff like that and um, and then you bounce from there into the world of Straight into the world of entrepreneurship, into something? No, like...
0: no. So I was, um, well, so while, I mean, while I was in school, even before I was in school, like I did, um, when I was in high school, I did an internship at um, the Public News in Houston, which mm. is like, a. say it's like the Village Voice of Houston, um, but it's, you know, not that good. Um, but um, I did that. And then I worked, um, I interned at the MIT Press during school while I was at Vue. And then I worked at another publishing office at MIT which is actually this sort of weird office that um, was set up to, weird but like really smart to um, try to unify, like kind of bring good design to all of the publications at mm. MIT. Um, MIT is a really remarkable place and you have all kinds of like, you know, wildly intelligent people, Right. some of whom have good design sensibilities, some of whom have like the worst design <laughs> sensibility of anywhere um Uh. possible and so this office is kind of set up to help them find the resources and get good design and so that there would be some sort of consistency of like all these publications coming out of all these like weird different kind of siloed offices at mit anyway point being that was kind of like ended up kind of being an an early introduction to like the importance of design and like kind of working with people on publishing and just the mechanics of Mm. publishing um so then when I got out I actually worked at a small a really small web design firm someone I knew through that job. Um and I was doing like all aspects of um I was kind of like the it was literally three other people at the firm um and I would kind of do like everything that no one else
1: so, and, would do. And you're basically just teaching yourself how to do everything yeah. at this point, right?
0: Oh yeah, one well, like doing some like you know using like Dreamweaver right. like... I, I remember using Dreamweaver, like, <laughs> what was it,
1: Fire, yeah. Fireworks or something like that? Yeah, That's and
0: building, like, right. um, you know, database for, like... It was when oh, websites were in, like, ASP. Mm-hmm. And I think, what is it? Was it Microsoft Project? Was it was, like, the... Or, or um,
1: FrontPage or something like what that was, was the web thing. Um, there was
0: a... Da- what was the database? I can't remember what the database uh, solution whatever, was. Yeah. Anyway, doing database, you know, sizing photos, doing project management, whatever, you know. Um, and... It was so I did that for about um, a couple years, and then I got laid off because it was the dot bomb. Uh, so I actually worked in this huge. So like late nineties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and or actually, it was about let's see, two thousand and one. Okay. Um, and so then I, but it was good because I learned all the. I didn't know how it would come into play later, but I kind of learned all of the things about making websites, right? Um, and then I ended up. I was doing like kind of freelance, like copywriting, copy editing, stuff like that while I was trying to figure out what to do next. And then I moved to New York and um, and then I ended up um, basically volunteering with um Flavor Pill, which was mm-hmm. you know Flavor Pill, right? Yep. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's sort of like a, you know, kind of a timeout online, like sort of cultural events guide, right? guide to kind of the coolest things going on in the city and they were it was really just the two founders Sasha and Mark at that time and like maybe like one other guy and a couple interns and um, so it was essentially a startup but people weren't really talking about startups then or like they weren't calling them startups right, yeah. then um,
1: it was just a company with no money, no, <laughs> right? No and, and like a good tra- idea, praying like crazy that they'd be <laughs> yeah. able to pay the rent. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So then I, so I basically kind of ended up coming on. I think it's their first full time employee, and we kind of build out this whole editorial operation where we had and it was right. It was email publications. It was that era of like Daily Candy and right. So, so it's forth. like a big
1: daily, sort of like yeah.
0: You know, and so we had public. Yeah. We had weekly publications in a bunch of different cities. Um, you know, Guide to L.A., San Francisco.
1: So at, at this point, are you thinking to yourself, okay, I've done like a handful of different things in this space i'm getting hold on technology i'm getting hold on entrepreneurship i'm getting mm. hold of content are you are you kind of thinking i really have my finger on the beat of like there's there's something happening here with technology and content as a driver for a business
0: yeah totally i mean i think we and then we ended up like launching new publications while i was there and like kind of working with designers on building that so it just kind of became this thing where it was like okay like really learning how to um build and design and launch like online publications you know that kind of became what i was really into um but it's one of those things right like in the moment you're never like oh yeah like you just see it all coming together you just showed it (laughs) yeah like you know upon reflection you're like oh this actually like there is a through line but i think you usually find it you know um when you're looking back rather than when you're looking forward um but yeah so i was there i was there for many years um until I think when we left, it was like it was an editorial team of like 25 people, mm. um, and you know as I said, we got to sort of build and launch a lot of stuff, which was really great. And then, um, and then I ended up going through kind of a transitional period again, um, taking a job in LA that was kind of like ended up being sort of like a bad idea, um, but which you, is good.
1: Right. So, so we can't just gloss <laughs> over that. Oh, I am talking about the bad idea. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, so I ended up going to. Um, I got I got hired basically um, by this sort of large um, music website, and they were like, they had seen what Flavor Pill had done, you know, kind of very cool, hip culture, take on cultural mm-hmm. stuff, right? And they were like, we want to reinvent this sort of old website as something kind of new and hip, and we want to, like, bring you on to do it type of thing. Um, but it was one of those things where then I went out there, and it was the CEO who had hired me, but then, like, everyone who actually worked there wasn't really, like, into or on board with this idea. Yeah.
1: That is like a disaster. It's happened to me. And <laughs> yeah. It, it's a horrible position to be in. Yeah.
0: And it was also like more money than I had ever made. And yeah. I was like, you know, and you're like, great. You're a little seduced. you right. know, I'm like, okay, great. Like they, they value me, you know? <laughs> um, but then I get out there and it was a different story. And, um, and it was a very kind of corporate ish type of culture and office. Um,
1: and you're not a corporate ish type of person.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. Um, so it was very short though, you know, so I stayed out there like 10 months and I was like, this isn't working. And I actually ended up getting into a relationship with someone back in New York at times, Times, so then I came back to New York. Um, but it's one of those things because when you like think about it in the moment or when you talk to someone, you're like, oh God, like they think, oh, it must have like really sucked. Like it must have been really bad to like take a, move across the country and like take a shitty job and whatever. But it was so valuable, you know, because it was immediately I was like, oh, I really like being in a startup culture. Like I hate being in any kind of Mm -hmm. corporate culture, you know, um, and, you know, loving my job is so much more important than how much money I'm making. And so it's all these things that were like really valuable lessons to get, you know, I was like 30 then um, to get at that age and be like, okay, now I like know and I don't have to make those bad decisions, you know, maybe at points when it would sort of be have more of an impact or something like that.
1: So when you left, had they taken? It.
0: Oh, it was it was fine actually. Well, the funny thing was, is the guy who I, the CEO, had introduced me to, who was going to be my boss, who I liked, left like two months after I started. Got Got which it. is like, you know, so you're kind of like, oh, it's already falling apart type right. of thing. Um, so yeah, it was. I mean, it ended up being fine. It was one of those things where like you kind of see the writing on the wall. I think yeah. a little bit. <laughs>
1: so you ended up coming back here then for a combination of work and love. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, did you know what you were coming back to at the time?
0: I didn't. I mean, I was really trying to figure out, like, I knew I knew at that point, like, that my sweet spot was kind of a startup-y, like, editorial publishing thing, but, like, I didn't know what it was, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I came back, and then um, I actually helped one of the guys who had kind of left the Flavor Pill family was um, sort of taking his publication and and transforming it from, like, a weekly email into a daily blog, and so I worked with him. Um, you know, I was doing some kind of basically like working with him as a, um, content consultant on the launch. And he was, um, this is, uh, Jason Campbell who works in the fashion world. And he introduced me, he ended up introducing me to Scott, um, Scott Belsky. So I did an interview with Scott and we kind of connected, um, and then we just stayed in touch. He had, so we landed the book deal for making ideas happen and, um, he, you know, was, was running dehance and super busy and just kind of needed, like, basically sort of like an, you know, kind of an ally to, like, help him stay on track with the book and, like, kind of be a, um, you know, kind of first line editor and, uh, you know, and also just, like, kind of bounce ideas off of and be sort of a, you know, kind of a partner and, and pushing it forward. So I kind of came on to help him do that as, like, a freelance project. So really, um, like, that's
1: just for the book?
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, Scott being very, um, you know, kind of smart and organized as he is was like, you know, I'll, I'll be able to do this much more successfully and kind of meet my deadlines if I have someone who's kind of like being like, hey, did you do that thing? Like, what about this? Or, right. you know.
1: So you were like a combination project and editorial manager. <laughs> yeah, for, exactly. Like, his personal process. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: Um, so that was really fun. And, um, you know, that was it maybe the fall of 2008, something like that. Um, and... I turned in the manuscript um, in the spring maybe and you know we were kind of like oh we really like working together you know so I had been sort of around the Behance office but I wasn't working on Behance at that time or anything Um, just kind of met some of the folks through working with Scott Um, and but yeah we finished the project we would really liked working together and then at right around that time so they had done the first so 99U started out as a conference actually not as an editorial Mm -hmm. entity exactly um So they had just done the first conference and that was, um, two people. So I wasn't involved in the production of the first conference, but I went to it. Um, and you know, the kind of concept of the conference, right, which is based on this Thomas Edison quote, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, like really focusing on idea execution and Mm -hmm. nothing related to like creative inspiration. You know, it's much more like how, like, how did you do that? Right. Just like
1: get it out of your head into (laughs) the world. Really
0: getting into how people did stuff. Um, So one of the speakers at that event that was really cool, for instance, was like Robert Hammond, who was the co-founder of the High Line. And he Mm -hmm. talked about the 10-year process of making the High Line, which is really interesting because he didn't set out to make the High Line park. Like, they just set out to save the High Line. And then it evolved and evolved and evolved until it turned into this park. Um, But, you know, kind of behind the scenes, that type of stuff. Um, So anyway, the conference really resonated with people. Like, they love this concept. Um, and Scott and I were kind of like oh we really want to keep working together um, and you know how do we do that and then we kind of happened on this idea we were basically like well that first year it was really successful but it was still hard to sell out the conference mm-hmm. and so it was basically like you know what if we what if we created like sort of you know 24/7 editorial engine to engage people with the brand and then when like we ask them to buy tickets for this conference once a year like they'll actually know what it is and they'll be on board with it, right. you know? Um, and so that was kind of, that was kind of like how it started. And the guy who had been one of the original producers of the conference had left Behance. And there was also this thing that was called, so kind of the nascent version of 99U was the Behance magazine, mm. which I don't know if you know about, nah, but it was I sort of it. like tucked knew, away. Totally to me. <laughs> Before Behance became more streamlined, there were all these little things like tucked away in nah. different parts of the website. And one of them was the Behance magazine, which is really kind of small and like kind of a like side project that like, you know, like Scott would like write a tip when he had a few minutes or mm-hmm. something like that it was like very small and just kind of like, but it was sort of a little bit of the idea of like these actionable insights. So we were basically like, why don't we take that notion and, you know, kind of build it into an editorial entity and we'll rebrand all of this 99U and then like that will kind of make it into this bigger thing. Um, and so I kind of came on to lead that as we mm. as we did that, and that was kind of like how the whole thing started.
1: So, and that really just like took everything that you had done up until that point. Yeah, it was I like kind perfect. Kind of bundled it into <laughs> like, okay, this is everything I love. It's all right. technology. Plus, of that production, uh,
0: which i would never done.
1: Huh? So, how would you feel about that? <laughs> just coming in and saying, all right.
0: <laughs> well, it was funny because like it was it wasn't even like really clear to me. I think at the time, like I was like, oh, because we were just working. Like it was all about how are we gonna get the editorial to the site and like what's the vision for the site gonna be and I was like thinking about that. And then at a certain point, like, you know, maybe three months in after we had launched the site, it became I was like, oh, oh, I'm gonna have to do the conference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was kind of like this like oh shit moment. Right, right. Like, like I don't know anything about hmm, this.
1: Never done that before. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> um you know in the first year of doing it, um, it was like brutal. Um but you know we're headed into the seventh like the seventh year of doing the conference now, and, and and I love it. I didn't realize that I actually had a skill set which is extremely well suited to doing events, but you know, mm. I just hadn't. hadn't and that done conference, it
1: like from what I know, it sells out. And
0: yeah, I mean, <laughs> the I think. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're like about fifty percent sold out, and we haven't announced speakers, and the conference isn't until May of next year. Um,
1: <laughs> That's so, not not a bad place. To be <laughs> yeah, at, so right? it's
0: it's really good. I mean, and I think you know our kind of whole thing with the conference is like, it's a conference about great idea execution. Hmm. So like we have to embody that in the conference itself. Like it needs to be incredibly well executed, Um, you know, and then just really tapping into all of the Behance design expertise that we have on hand, you know, and just, it's really like the, the level of like materials that we design and how much like depth we get into it is kind of maniacal.
1: Which is, and it's curious too for me, because when you serve, you know, a pretty huge global community of designers mm-hmm. and you know like you have that everybody who is looking at everything that you do yeah like not just for the content but like every single mm-hmm. design choice that you make yeah you know you know is going to be observed and yeah. critiqued even if not outwardly like, people are going to be thinking huh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> why did they do that i wouldn't have done that or that's beautiful mm-hmm. um, so when it comes to executing both, you know, on the editorial side and in the conference, I mean, I would imagine the internal pressure, just knowing who the audience you're serving is is, is pretty
0: big. Mm, yeah. Not not to,
1: like, reinforce that. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're starting to sweat.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. Well, it's it's actually one thing I think about. I'll come to the design, but I think about a lot for the curation because one of the funny things about selling out before you announce speakers is that when you announce speakers, you're like, oh, shit, like... These better, I hope these people like yeah. these speakers. So like <laughs> right. it kind of like, creates this They bought like, into the, the brand you know, yeah, the experience. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of creates this like extra layer of, um, you know, need to set the bar really high. Um, but on the design side, I think, that's, I think that's true. But it also, I mean, it has the plus of meaning there's like a lot of incredibly nerdy design people who are really into the brand who just like, you know, will really appreciate how much attention to detail like we yeah. put into, you know the badges or, you know, these tiny little cards that we hand out or, you know, kind of every little thing. And, you know, back to our point of creating tangible things, like that's, it's kind of we create so much stuff for the conference. It's a little bit like we produce probably, who knows how many, you know, pieces we produce, but, um, you know, something like 30, probably like 30 and 40 independent, you know, banners, motion Mm, graphics brochures, blah, blah, blah. Um, but to our point of, you know, tangible things, like it's kind of amazing. Like you have this, just all of this stuff that you made at the end. And there's something like really quite gratifying about that. And just like seeing people engage with it at the event, you know?
1: Yeah. No, I, and there's something so powerful about bringing people together in a room. I know, you know, we've, um, we just did our first sort of like more sizable event a couple of months ago with mm-hmm. our uh, camp. So we had 250 people come and basically we took over a summer camp for almost four days. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was magical and mysterious and incredible. And, um, yeah. you know, going into it, um, we're like, I don't know if I'm ever doing this again.
0: Cause always. this was a ridiculous When you do the first work. event, that's yeah, how you yeah, always yeah, do. yeah. You're like, yeah. okay.
1: Um, and see then, see her, John. right. right. And, and then 24 <laughs> hours in, we're like, oh, this is so much bigger than us. Of course this has to happen again. Yeah. Um, and but but we have a similar sort of like attention to like really detail mm-hmm. on a, just a fanatical level and that the but I mean the, the bags that they got and then the bags that they took mm-hmm. away and and everything that went into it was handcrafted and made and stuff like that and yeah um and and, and and in in a way that a lot of people probably don't even know but I just feel like they feel it
0: <laughs> yeah no I mean people totally notice like to think about one so one nerdy detail is that I make these i make the music mixes for like every single break during the conference or i like literally you know i use also some from a friend of mine Ari. but i program like you know i program them like okay this is like the morning session like people are walking in like how do we want it to feel you know like you don't want a lot of energy like it's kind of chill like getting started you know um And then, you know, like this year I got really excited and I get really excited about it. But like, I picked like the walkout music. I was like, okay, like this is the first song people are going to hear when they're walking out of the conference. Like, what do we want it to be? Mm -hmm. You know? And I really nerd out on those details, but people notice like certain people comment on the music every year. And it's like one of my favorite things. I'm always like, oh, they notice the music, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I
1: so agree. And it's like, you know, I think so, so often in experiences like that. It's not the one big thing. It's mm. the thousand tiny things totally. that add up and just create the experience. So a lot of times, so, sometimes people can put their finger on all oh, that music, like that song. But I think a lot of times also people just leave and they just know that what just happened was extraordinary and they're not entirely sure why mm-hmm. or what was so different. They just know it was. like yeah. The totality of the experience was like nothing they'd ever done before.
0: Yeah. And I think it's like that level of personal care. Like yeah. you were saying, people just
1: they feel it. Feel it, Yeah.
0: And I was actually thinking about, as I was coming over here, I was thinking about um, this book, Make Your Mark, and I was thinking about, like, some of the things that really resonated with me in it, and one of them was um, an interview I did with Neil from Warby Parker, and one of the things that he talks about with with regard to their brand is this notion of, like, inspiring confidence every step of the way. So it's, yes, you have the product for them as glasses, you know, for us, it's, I mean, it's a conference, maybe it's speakers or, like, the core product or something like that, but this notion of like every step of the way, you know, like you're saying, like they get the gift back, like the gift back looks amazing. Or, you know, you hear the music and the music's amazing. Like every thing that you touch and you experience is sort of inspiring confidence in this mm-hmm. experience in the brand, you know?
1: Yeah, no, uh, it's, um, it's amazing. And, uh, I think it's overlooked a lot also, um, which I happen to love because it's an entrepreneur, like an, a maker and a creator. It means that if you're willing to actually go there, yeah, then there's not a lot of competition.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, It's just kind of a fun, if you're willing to actually do that, it's cool. So um, if you're listening to this, <laughs> if you want to go there, it takes a lot of work. <laughs> you not have to try, be very neurotic, not try but and it works. You,
0: but, yeah.
1: This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further, to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. (laughs) Um, So you brought up the book, so let's kind of zoom forward a little bit. Um, So you end up basically uh, overseeing 99U, the, the editorial engine, the conference, and building into this really substantial um, both global community and global body of work, uh, you know, huge, um, collection of content, really extraordinary, well-edited, well-written content that becomes really amazing resources and inspiration for a lot of people, but, and beyond inspiration, you know, like actionable
0: stuff. Hopefully, Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then not too long ago, you guys, um, came out with, uh, with, a started to create your own series of books. Um, so, and, and, uh, as we're sitting here recording that you're in the. The, the verge of coming out with, I guess, mm. what's the last in the, um, the first uh, three-book series? Tell me a little bit about this series.
0: Um, well, the series kind of sprang out of this notion of, it was really all about, the original concept was self-management and kind of these different pieces of self-management. So it's kind of like, you know, it's really remarkable, right? The means of production are so accessible. Um, you know, we can, a group of one person, three people, 10 people can create something kind of amazing and world changing, um, which is remarkable, but it also means there's a lot of responsibility for you to just be able to manage yourself all the time and in a variety of different ways. And so the books kind of break down into, um, these different levels of that. So the first book Manage Your day to day was kind of like, let's take the atomic unit of the day. Like, how do I manage my time so that I can produce great creative work every single day? And that was like the subject of that book. And then the second book gets a little bigger. It's sort of like, okay, my career, you know, how given this kind of new landscape where, you know, people are staying at jobs for a max of three to four years, Mm -hmm. constantly having to reinvent themselves, you know, uh, you know, community manager is a hugely in demand job now, but there'll be a job with a name I don't even know that'll be the most in demand job in five years from now. Like, how does that, what does that mean for how I manage my career? And then the kind of third, I just sort of think of it's like kind of concentric circles is um, you know, your business. And so like, how do you, um, how do you, man- you know, how do you manage your business and how do you create something that really has meaning and is going to like have an impact in the world as opposed to just, you know, trying to make widgets or yeah, something like that. And
1: it's interesting, you know, like you were incredibly um, thoughtful to invite me to participate in one of the books. Um, and the, the one that you're, the, the, the last one to come out in the series called make your mark, um, it's the, one, it's the topic that actually probably calls me the most because mm-hmm. it's the question that I'm constantly exploring. Um, I'm constantly dancing with this idea of, you know, what am I here to contribute? Um, how does that balance with the way I want to live in the world and who I want to serve and be with? Mm-hmm. Um, and what am I willing to give up in the name of it? You know, and it's a really... They're not easy questions. <laughs> you know, it'd be so nice, and and you can look at all these different exemplars. Um, I think that's one of the cool things is that when you when you guys put out something like this, or when you curate it, and you actually do a bunch of the interviews that end up turning into Down for it, is that it's not just one voice. Yeah, but you bring together this really interesting um, curated. Sort of like a collection of of humans yeah. who performed at exceptional levels mm-hmm. to share their experience in a real kind of like non fluffy. Oh, everything was great and <laughs>
0: we <were> all like <laughs> right ever after each
1: other thing. So, um, talk to me a little bit about this newest book, make your mark, and um, and what what are some of the the the, um, the conversations that from you and the, the big ideas the topics really jumped out at you, surprised you um, Mm. were like the big moments where you're like, Oh, I went into this, but I wasn't even thinking about that. And wow.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think the most surprising thing about the whole book and the way that these people are kind of talking about, um, business was the level of sort of humanity that they were talking about it with. Mm. Um, you know, from the level of, I, you know, I think probably my favorite chapter is still the first one, which is really about defining your purpose. Um, probably because I like most to spend my time in that kind of like mm-hmm. imaginative space where you're kind of asking those questions. Um, but just really seeing this shift to what you're talking about of, um, you know, businesses really, you know, you used to, I, I won't say people didn't think about purpose before, but I think we're kind of at this place where as individuals, as businesses, we're kind of constantly asking for more, you know? And so we don't want to just make stuff. We want to make stuff that like has meaning and that's going to have a real mm-hmm impact in the world Um, and you know so I think digging into some of those questions in the first chapter was really one of my favorite parts but also even like get into a chapter that we have you know it's all about kind of serving customers and um, you know I love the the sort of Shane Snow's essay where he talks about kind of small kindnesses and that kind of goes back to what you and I were just talking about like all those little um, loving details and all of it really like It seems like it comes down to this idea that, um, you know, you used to just sort of make a product and just making that product and maybe making that product well was enough, like to distinguish you and to make you successful as a business. Um, But now I guess it's, you know, I think that it's so easy, um, you know, for someone to catch up, whether it's, um, you know, making a knockoff iPhone in China or... Um, you know, maybe you're making something that's easy enough to be 3D printed or something like that, but people can catch up to you so quickly in terms of like the thing that you're making that what starts to really distinguish products is like making a great product is just the start. And then there's this whole, you know, ecosystem of kind of experience that lives around it. And like, that's, that is that whole package is kind of becoming the competitive advantage. Um, so if you, like if you go back to like my conversation mm-hmm. with Neil from Warby Parker, you know he talks about Warby. He talks about you know they're distinguishing themselves on price, but also on style, also on customer service, also on social mission. And they kind of talk to customers about which order these things matter to them, you know, and kind of um, try to uh, you know kind of rank the way that they sort of present things um, based on that. Um, but, you know, so it's not just, you know, yeah, they make great glasses, but like in a sense, like that's not, the brand isn't, it's about so much more than that. And like, that's what people are paying for. It's like also that amazing customer spirit, mm-hmm. also that feeling that like, oh, someone else is getting a pair of glasses when I buy a pair of glasses, you right. know, all of these different levels. Um, and I think that's, it, that's really interesting, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think we are, um. So I think there's a combination of an openness to the possibility that you actually can run a sustainable business and it it also being about something bigger than the customers and the shareholders maybe, or, or maybe, you know, this is about the customers and the shareholders, but actually the best way to, you know, like the, the, the obligation if you're a public company is, you know, maximize shareholder value, that maybe that... um actually having a bigger purpose, serving a bigger community, like going beyond that actually may be the best path Mm -hmm. to sort of like even do that. Um, But also like I wonder how much of this is driven by um, sort of a Gen Y ethic of, you know, like we want to work somewhere with a sense of meaning and purpose and we also want to buy more from somebody who we know is doing good in the world. You Because you see it also in the growth of like the mega growth of some really new – to use Adam Braun's word, for purpose organizations mm-hmm. like Pencils of Promise and yeah. Charity Water, they're sexy. They're they're crazy attention to visual branding like that's never happened in that world mm-hmm. before. But also fundamentally, like they're really they're tapping into this like zeitgeist of a particular generation to want to give in a particular way mm-hmm. um, and see all the money flow through. And I think that that's they're doing it in a sort of a you know like a for purpose way. Um, but I think that larger organizations are starting to say, huh. You know that's actually not just for that world. Um, it's got to be a bigger part of our ecosystem too.
0: Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's also your we're not at that point where I think it's like yes that needs to be part of it, but it's only part of it, right? Like because yeah. there was this there was this exactly. era like a period maybe five or ten years ago where like even still now some companies try to position themselves only on social good. Yeah. Like they have a pro they have a product, but like they try to position the social good part up front, and people don't care. That much about it. So I don't like, think
1: it's believable. Yeah, you know, unless you're <laughs> right. pure, like a pure charity or pure foundation, exactly. then you buy it. But if like you're out there and like you know, if Pepsi comes out and says we're, you know, like it's all about the cause now, mm-hmm. um, not just land Pepsi in anyway, but just like a company of substantial mm-hmm. size where you know it's about the bottom line. You know, it's like how do you actually do something where it's like yes. We want to make money, um, but we also want to do good, and that's okay. Yeah, you know, we can kind of do it together. But we want to make money, yeah, <laughs> like, for real. We do. <laughs> um, I, but I don't think people would, would begrudge a company that. Um, no. If they're, I think that the dance has been. I think um, you've got it. It's okay to be upfront about the fact that yeah, you know, like we want to really be successful. So we're not going to tell you that this is all about like social good when it's really not. But it's a piece of what we're thinking about, right?
0: Well, and that's what sustainable business is about, right? You can't be a sustainable business if you're not doing good business and making (laughs) making some money, you know. And then there's this this is how the sustainability from an environmental perspective or the social good perspective can fit into um, can fit into that. But yeah, I mean, I guess the other thing that we were we were kind of dancing around, right? Is that um, we're talking about humanity and it's that kind of notion that you can't escape having to actually sort of be more real and be more human these days you know people are always using the term authenticity and it comes up a lot but that notion that like it used to be businesses used to just kind of very top down like push out their message you know through channels that were not two-way obviously like social media and all those things now everyone can talk back and so you just have to um you know you get to have more of a conversation with people which is really interesting and really exciting and also really scary at the same time, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like a level of, of, you know, like there's, I remember there's a, I may have it in my bookshelf somewhere. I think there's a book called Tactical Transparency. I used to love that term. Um, but now it's getting to a point where I think it's almost like forced transparency. Yeah.
0: It's not, ta- it's just happening.
1: Right. It's like whether you want it or not, you know, like it may not be a hundred percent transparent, but there will be a level of transparency imposed on you, even if you don't adopt it or choose it yeah so rather than fight that, just say, "Okay, if I assume this is my reality moving forward, how am I going to live into that? You yeah know? and how am I going to build an organization around it and both in terms of how people perceive it outside, but then what about the culture within the organization too yeah
0: well, and there's a really nice I really like the um essay from Craig at Dodo case, kind of on that topic um you know where he's talking about when they first launched Dodo case, you know they launched it kind of um you know, they're, right, they're sort of um, bookbinding technique-made um, cases for iPads, and they launched it with the first iPad kind of simultaneously. Um, and they had like a huge backlog, and I think they were maybe six to eight weeks behind schedule or something like that. So they were asking people to pay like a really high price point for something to protect their iPad and then to wait like two months for it or something right. like that.
1: I remember because I was on that list. <laughs> you were on that list, right? I I was.
0: Um, and their kind of take was just to be really transparent about you know what was going on, like that they had much more demand than they expected, and that they were um, you know and just you know tweeting pictures of like you know Patrick, the other co-founder, like carrying bamboo into the into the factory, and the, you know like basically kind of right saying the message that they were just you know we're overwhelmed and we're trying really really hard and kind of <laughs> constantly doing things that would show how they, you know, how they were working really hard to get people their orders. And people were, like, okay with that. And, in fact, like, they ended up sharing that stuff a lot more. And I think there's something, you know, there's something really amazing about that. Um, And to your point of people, you know, really being able to almost connect with your business in a way that they're rooting for you to do well, you know, as opposed to just having this very, like, non-transparent interaction with buying a product and not knowing who's behind it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think people... So many of us, as entrepreneurs, creators, like the people behind a company, you 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 try and um, you you grew up in a culture. If you've been around like the world of business for any amount of time, where like you know you want the external world to experience you as close to perfection as possible. Like that's the experience, Mm -hmm. rather than as close to um, humanity as Mm -hmm. possible. You know, and I think there is, especially if you're a younger company. I think there's this people want to connect with the hero's journey in the company mm-hmm. um, and it's it's much better to um, bring them in and and say, Look, you know, we love you and we realized you know we have so not met your expectations right now but we're working so hard and we believe so much what we're doing, we're treating our people really well and we want to treat you well and we will and if you want to bail, like I get it. You know, it's totally cool. We'll give you your money back, whatever it is. But if you would support us in this as we're really working really hard, we're just a couple of nice people really trying to do the job. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, that'd be awesome. Um, you know, it gets kind of hard. What's interesting is you can do that when you're smaller. Yeah. Um, but the bigger you get, the harder it is to pull that off.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah, and it's, yeah, how do you, how do you do that? And yeah, we call it, we call it a high touch. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> right?
1: if, even when you look at just sort of like the messaging, the way it's changed with Apple um, over the last 10 years, you know, at a certain point, it's kind of hard to go out there and, and position yourself as the underdog, you yep. know, as like the thing different when you're dominating the market. now. Yeah. You know, and it change, the psychology behind it, changes pretty profoundly. And I think, see, I haven't, I don't know anyone inside of Apple, but just from the messaging they're putting out there, it feels like they're struggling with that right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, a, yeah, it starts to sound a little bit like more of the same thing, even. Well, that's a separate topic. Yeah. I was thinking about their copywriting today, but that's a whole other That That is, I know, like, we're both like editorial and copywriting people, are like, huh, who wouldn't have done that? Which is, I
1: love the company and the product. Um, what, what's another one or two um, story or big awakening or big uh, surprise or aha that came out of this, uh, this last tome?
0: Um, well, yeah, I think I, I didn't really get into it. I was just saying how much I really enjoyed the purpose chapter. But, um, you know, I love the sort of um, Keith Yamashita's kind of first moment of talking about really being able to distill down your purpose. And, so, and, and it, who's
1: Keith for the time?
0: So Keith is um, the he's the founder and CEO of SY Partners, and they, you know, consult um, on leadership with you know GE, Starbucks. They they manage the Starbucks redesign that was rolled out a couple of years right. So they work with these huge brands and help them kind of um, learn how to lead and also like how to navigate change when their brands are going through. So you know maybe Apple needs to talk to them mm-hmm. you know, right now. Um, but so you know, he's doing a lot of a lot of um, talking to leaders of huge companies, and he talks about the importance of really being able to distill distill down your purpose, and by distill, like you know, to like seven or eight words. Um, and I really like the story that he tells about you know his own kind of awakening to that moment of um, you know seeing uh, this guy Bill McDonough speak and asking him what you know, Bill, what are what are you trying to do? And he says, you know bring respect back to elderhood in America. He's like, okay, that's it. And But then he kind of goes on to, Keith goes on to talk about how, um, and kind of what he learned from Bill, about how that really allows you to make so many different decisions sort of quickly and with confidence when you're able to distill down, you know, what you're trying to do personally or what you're trying to do with your business to something that, that simple you can say. You know, and he, he talks about Bill sort of saying like that that's, you know, he only does the things that are going to contribute the most value to this purpose. And that's how he decides what he's going to do, you know, and as, as you know, and I know you can't do everything and, um, you know, sort of the accessibility of, um, you know, social media and email means that you're going to get a lot more inquiries to do all kinds of different things and a lot, a lot of opportunities. And I think, um, you know, purpose as something that serves as this compass, the more that you can distill it down is, Incredibly valuable
1: yeah it I had a really interesting reaction um to that essay. I thought on the one hand um, I loved it i have um I have this built in knee jerk reaction to the term life purpose, which mm-hmm. is not the per that's not yeah. the phrase that was used there you know and um and so I read it as more. Um, what's your burning question or what, you know, what's, what's the purpose that sits in front of you right now? Mm-hmm. Who knows if there's going to be your life purpose, but mm-hmm. you know, like, what are you fully and, and utterly a hundred percent with the soul of your being committed to now? Right. And you know, maybe for this foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, and then focus on that. And, and I so agree that when you get clarity around that, um, it makes decision making almost automatic. Mm-hmm. because, you know, if you get clarity around that and then you ask that same question, you're like, will this substantially advance this particular purpose, there's usually a fairly clear yes mm-hmm. or no or pretty strong answer to that. And if you can say no to a whole lot of things, you know, the few that you say yes to, you know, will be really sort of like maximum return on those things. And I think one of the, um, we're, in, we're in the midst of just a massive, um, like a decision-making abyss. <laughs> yeah. These days, like people don't know how, to decide to say what you know, what do you say yes or no to?
0: Yeah, no, totally. Um, I'm reading this book um, right now called The Tyranny of Choice, mm. um, and it's it's you know kind of a really interesting uh, examination of of choice anxiety um, and you know what results from choice anxiety, which is decision fatigue, right? Um, and it's so interesting how you know to your point, like being able to say no is. Literally, might be like the biggest kind of competitive advantage right now in terms of time management. You know, just being able to stay focused on on what you're trying to do, and obviously, you need to know what you're trying to do to stay focused. On yeah,
1: I, I literally, I, I got an email from somebody recently who invited me to do something that I would actually love to do, but I'm on deadline actually you know, like for one of my own books, mm-hmm. and I, and I said no. And, and he actually responded really quickly and congratulated me on being able to say no to it, even though he really wanted to participate. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I, "I so respect that." Yeah. Um, and he's like, "I'm surprised by it," <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, that's really um, it's something that I I look at it almost as a practice. It's oh like, yeah. It's like it's like a, a yoga you know, practice. Yeah, for totally. Sure. <laughs> um, but so powerful when you can get into the habit of it and just kind of dissociate because there's so much. With so much baggage around doing it mm-hmm. <laughs> like personally about letting other people down, about what's, you know, like the, like FOMO and, and yeah. like what am I missing out on? And maybe like the, something better that I should be doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and actually to go back to um, Linda Stone, who I mentioned earlier when we were just having this conversation about email, she was kind of, comparing it to, you know, traditional mail and saying, you know, you know, like you get your traditional mail, right? And you throw out, you just throw out the junk mail and you keep what you want, what's valuable to you or what you need. And you don't even think about it, you know? And she was sort of saying, you know, that email is kind of becoming the same way. Like, I think that, I mean, I personally still try to respond to every email that I get, you know, will I do that in a few years from now? Like, I'm not so sure, you know, will everyone else, like, I think we have this feeling like, we everyone is owed a response, or you know, and um, but I think that you know eventually maybe we'll get to that place where it will be like, oh well, this is something that I did. This is a something I never asked for that I didn't you know kind of sign up for, and I'm not going to feel like obligated to consider it. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously it's not to say that like anything that you didn't think of in advance is like junk mail, but I think it we're it's like we we're having to start to shift to this different mindset where it was like we're still in this old mindset where every email is equally important, you yeah. know, and there's a huge amount of prioritization that <laughs> has to start happening.
1: I so agree. It, I was um, just okay. having, I got an introduction to somebody who I really wanted to meet and, and make an interesting offer to. And so I wrote a fairly long email, which I normally don't do because I hate when I get long emails. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause, uh, Cause the expectation is, well, somebody just like, you know, wrote me a thousand words and it's you know like the expectations I'm not going to answer with three words, mm-hmm. um, but I generally do. And like a nod I took from from Seth Godin.
0: Yeah,
1: um, it's, it's 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 not a disrespect thing; it's a survival thing. Yeah. Um, but so at the end of this email, like the last sentence that I wrote to him was you know like I said I have no expectation in any way that you will respond to this email in kind. a simple yes, yes let's meet, or no, just not right, would be awesome. Mm-hmm. So like wanted to set him up that because i think a lot of people won't respond to an email like that just because of the thought of having to actually respond in kind on some level mm-hmm. even if they're interested they're just like ah oh, i can't muster up to like yeah. say yes in three paragraphs like yeah. but then you give somebody permission to just say yes or just say no and it's totally cool no mm-hmm. offense yeah. um and it worked so yeah
0: <laughs> no i think it's usually important thinking and i you know constantly asking people to speak at the conference or Asking people to contribute to the book series, you know, a lot of asking people who are, you know, very busy, very talented, doing a lot of things. And I think a lot of people, when they do that, they don't think about their audience, you know. So I have a thing that I actually do with um, some of my coworkers where they're like ever extending an ask to someone for something. Because, right, where do you usually write emails? You usually write emails at your desktop. Where do you get them? You get them on your phone, right? So a lot of times you have this thing, giant thing on your desktop, it really looks like a reasonable amount of text. Right. <laughs> but when you're, like, waiting online at Starbucks and you're reading it on your phone, it looks like like a nightmare. That's such a good point. So we do, like, I have to do a little thing where I size it down to, like, a phone, and I'm mm-hmm. like, how terrifying does this look? Like, edit it down until it looks like something that you, you know, <laughs> would actually respond to or continue reading to the bottom type of thing.
1: That is great. Um, <laughs>
0: and it's crucial. It's just funny because I think that those, um, you know, Those communication skills and the ability to write something in a concise way and to understand how someone is going to experience it is incredibly crucial to getting anything done, whether it's, you know, you want someone to say yes to someone, you want a designer to help you work on something, you want a publisher to talk to you about a book proposal or whatever it is
1: yeah I think that's the big thing is that and and I think this at least from my side I'm curious where it comes from you is really probably was just really almost beat into me from like learning to copyright Mm -hmm. is that the first thing you do is you put yourself in the position of the person receiving communication like how are they going to experience psychologically what's everything that could go through their mind and what what knee-jerk reactions will they have what yeses what noes what so um, I think that that ability Yeah, it's not. It's not even so much of an ability. It's just like
0: a mindset, right? It's just like
1: okay, here's the final check before I send something out. Mm -hmm. Like sit in their seat and just okay, how would they experience this? Yeah, it's huge. I I think if more people would do that, um, they would end up getting a lot more yeses.
0: (laughs) And maybe we'd all have less email to read or shorter emails to read. (laughs) Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
1: <laughs> so you're rocking out this third book, um, Continuing to Grow 99U, the, the, the content, community, the, uh, the conference, all sorts of really big, cool things. Um, you having fun?
0: <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I think it was funny when we were talking about events earlier and you were talking about this recent event that you've done, I was thinking like, oh my God, like I'm in such a different place now from, mm. you know, when I did the first conference, which, you know, literally it was one of those things where you're like, oh my God, how will I ever do this again? You know, I'm like a husk of a person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only like a month off of that. So I'm still, still coming back. So. Um, but, you know, it, it takes a lot out of you, but now it's, you know, it's one of those things where I've done it enough um, right. that it's, you know, that it's just fun and, you know, I, I know how to you know, I know how to ask someone to attend the conference and we have a great backlog of people who have spoken before. And, um, you know, you're, you know, just where you get to that moment, where you are kind of in the zone, you know, and you kind of know what you're doing, but it's still fun because you, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's such a great job to be able to just say, you know, have, have kind of carte blanche at any time to reach out to someone amazing and say, please come, talk to me on the phone or come to my conference and tell me how you did this thing. Like, you know, it's one of my favorite, I'm such a curious person, you know, so being able to do that is, is kind of incredible. Um, but I think what's interesting is how long it takes to get to that zone sometimes, you know, and maybe you've had this experience as well, like that, um, you know, I know one of the things I've had a lot of conversations with Scott about is, um, You know how much you don't realize somehow. Sometimes how long it's going to take to get to that like kind of sweet spot with you know with a business, Um, you know. So it's easy to it's easy to kind of give up too soon. Something you talk a lot about in the essay that you wrote for the second ninety nine year book, Um, you know. And I think sometimes you think "Oh, oh like a year in or two years in like you're going to be there, you know. But I think for us it's much more you know now we're I mean kind of officially started in 2009 so we're you know five going on six years in you know um and I would say it took you know probably took like three or four years to really get to that like point where you're you're really gunning you're like people know what we're doing like you know they're into it um and it's amazing to get to that moment but it's also kind of terrifying to think about like how easy it would be to not get to that moment as well.
1: Yeah, I, it's like the classic, you know, you can ask you, you ask an entrepreneur the day before they have the hockey stick moment in their company, <laughs> like is tomorrow the day, they'd be like, could be that, or it could be we're going out of business. <laughs> 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 like they, they like you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the most, the thing that so many entrepreneurs, creators, makers on almost any level struggle with, like whether you're a designer, an artist, a writer, an entrepreneur, like you're putting your heart your your blood your sweat your tears in for years and you see the incremental growth and you don't know whether today is going to day, you know where you break out or whether nothing happens or whether you just can't take it anymore
0: right do you call it yeah and it's <laughs> it's
1: really tough to stay in it you know, like during those windows it's it's i think it's more the people who endure um who actually you know what was that famous uh randy nelson quote um like success is not about uh, eh, I'll forget. It. But, um yeah, I, I think there's there's immense power in um staying in it long enough. And we we drastically underestimate the amount of time that it is probably gonna take to get there. It's funny. I I spent a fair amount of time talking um really young entrepreneurs who've left a full time gig um, and have bills to pay um, mm-hmm. and have three months of runway to make something work into going back. And getting a job. Mm-hmm. And in the name of giving themselves potentially a couple of years just to start to build it on the side, do more testing, even you know, if mm-hmm. you know, they're running a lean process on the side to get the data and build. Because, you know, <laughs> if you've got three months of money and then you're shut down, then you're not going to make decisions based on the right things.
0: Yeah,
1: um, And we definitely drastically underestimate that.
0: Yeah, no, I was thinking about that the other day with just, I mean, you know, not entrepreneurship necessarily building it is just like every what everything takes at least 30 to 50 percent longer than you mm-hmm. think it will just everything yeah, i'd agree with that <laughs> so i was like thinking like board, i've huh? got to like start i've got to start making because we've been kind of so productive over the past couple of years i mean literally this is so this is like three books and About a year and a half. And then we also, we actually just wrapped up another um, Behance book that we're doing, like a Mm. coffee table book, which I'm really excited about. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where it feels like it's been like a sprint for two years, two and a half years, you know. Um, So I was thinking to myself, I've got to like start, when I think about deadlines, I've got to like take my first instinct and then just add like 30 to 50% more time onto it. (laughs) Just just start to get into a realistic range of like how long something would take without like making you crazy.
1: Okay, so here's my question. What is it about people that makes us do that? Because we know. <laughs> right? It's like, you know, going in, you're like, every time I've done this for the last 10 years, it always takes up. But I'm still going to make my initial estimate and, and yeah. I'm going to have to like, you know, like add 30 to 50% yeah. to it.
0: I don't know, but it's probably like that basic overambition of like, you know, the type of person who constantly wants to make new things or constantly wants to do something right. that they don't know how to do. You know, you probably wouldn't even like do those things that you didn't know how to do if you weren't over ambitious. And I guess it just translates into the deadlines. Yeah, I guess so, right? Something like that.
1: So, um, coming full circle here, Um, the name of this last book is "Make Your Mark." Do Do you have a sense for what mark you want to make?
0: Oh, that's an interesting question. Going deep at the end. Mm. Um, Hmm. Well, I haven't... This is where I, we have to see if I've distilled down my purpose to the uh, Keith Yamashita level that we were talking about. But I don't I don't think I have. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. For me, it's, it's just always going to... It's going to always continue to be publishing and writing, for sure. You know, to me, like, events are another aspect of publishing. Um,
1: but, like, what's the... Like, why? What do you... Why? What do you, I guess, what are you trying I, to do through that?
0: I mean... Hi, one of my—I mean, one of my favorite—I think one of my favorite things to do is to, um, you know, help people kind of um, be their best selves in a certain way, which is funny because at a certain point I was like, do I? I was thinking about ninety-nine years. I was like, do I run? Like, this is a self-help website, and I was kind of like, oh, is it? And then I was like. I don't know, but I still I was like I'm, I still totally believe in what's happening. You know what we do, even though I hate I personally hate this term, right? But but even like you know, sort of at all the different levels. Like if you're editing someone, the goal of editing is to like help someone realize their best voice. You know, or you know if you're thinking about stuff that 99U does, it's like you know we get messages from people after the conference sometimes, and they're like I came to the conference with this idea, and like I got so pumped, and like I went home. We got we got a message from a guy the other day who came to the conference like 2 years ago. So he's like I just wanted you to know it's actually a talk that Joe Gebbia from Airbnb gave and he made people do this exercise. It was like this kind of visioning exercise mm-hmm. and this guy was like I just made that thing like you know that during that talk I drew like a year and a half ago or something like that. And it's like that's awesome, you know, to actually really really get to, you know, help people change their lives, you know. And that's um <clears throat> that's I don't know. So I think anything that like helps people change their lives for the better. And that's kind of that's kind of the through line for me of what, what you do with publishing, whether it's books or events or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's I almost have,
1: like i uh, I'm sorry, go
0: ahead. No, no, no. I, was just I always have this... Um, there's this really amazing... I think it's a Stephen Mitchell translation of this Roka poem that's called The Archaic Bust of Apollo. And it's just um, basically about this guy looking at a work of art and the way that the piece ends is he's like, um, you know, the, the last line of the piece is basically like, you must, you must change your life, you know, and it's kind of about seeing something and just having like a totally transformative experience, you know, and I think there's, if <clears throat> you can change the way that someone thinks or you can change the way that someone acts. That's incredibly powerful.
1: Hmm. Agreed. So, final question. Like, oh my God, yes. it's gonna get deeper. <laughs> it depends <laughs> it's the one I wrap every 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 conversation with which is the name of this project is good life Project. So mm-hmm. if I ask you that question, what does it mean to you to live a good life does does that phrase have meaning to you, and if so uh...
0: it does I mean, I think um for me actually that's it's kind of the sole question that's on my mind right now because I think I've very much been working in this environment in a startup environment where work has been like the sole focus of my life and it's been incredible. Like we've produced so many remarkable things, but it's also incredibly unbalanced, you know, like not having enough bandwidth for other things in your life that feed you. Um, so I'm really, you know, I, I can't answer the question, but I'm really in the process of like meditating on that question of like, what, what is the right balance? Um, you know, cause I have, such a drive to make things and accomplish things and achieve things but that alone is you know kind of burns you out at a certain point um so i'm really <clears throat> i'm really at a moment where i'm trying to figure out what's that what's that balance like what's that kind of thing that um you know that brings you more present into what's happening now rather than i'm just always like what's next what's next what's next you know to that point where you were talking about you know you. Maybe get a book, and you're kind of like, mm. and then you, you know, you're moved on. And I'm very much like to that to that point where sometimes I'm not enjoying the experience or enjoying the act of making as much as I could be because I'm just constantly like, you know, what's what's going to be after this? Like, what else are we going to do? You know? Um, so it's a lot more about trying to like figure out how to be here and like not be totally in the head and be a lot more present right now, which sounds like a little bit corny, but that's,
1: that's Mm. the big challenge, right? Yeah, Indeed. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Good Life Project. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd share a quick review over on iTunes. It helps us get the word out to more people and make a bigger difference in the world. And hey, while you're there, please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you'd love to know more about how we can help you live your best life, check out our upcoming events and courses at goodlifeproject.com. I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off with gratitude.